0: We're back. Just like I said, we'd be back. This is For the Glory KC, where we bring a mix of in-depth Kansas City soccer knowledge and a more casual perspective. I'm Chad Smith, co-host and editor at the TheBlueTestament.com, who will take you a bit more in-depth. And I'm joined, as always, by my wife, the Lionheart, Sheena Smith, who gives that casual perspective. Sheena, how'd you like your ninth Chris Jericho nickname?
1: I don't have any thoughts on it. I don't know. I don't... I don't like any of these names, if I'm going to be honest.
0: Well, it's a theme and I'm going to keep it going. All right. So on today's show, we're going to talk about the draw last night between Sporting Kansas City and the Colorado Rapids. Uh, Sporting Kansas City finally make a big center back signing. We've been talking about it basically since this podcast has existed. And then week two of MLS season pass, we're going to give our thoughts on how things went. And of course, the digital crawl, y'all. So, Sheena, should we just get right to it?
1: Chad, I think we should just get started. There's a lot to cover.
0: All right, I agree with you. So let's get right into our observations from last night's draw. Sporting Kansas City went on the road, second straight game on the road to start the season, played the Colorado Rapids in Commerce City, and fought to an ugly 0-0 zero, zero draw. But hey, a point is a point. They all count the same. So... Let's get right into the opening parts of the game and then we can get into your, I think you're going to stick with your positive eh and negatives. Is that your plan?
1: Yes, it is.
0: All right. So what I'd like for Sporting to do is basically just like not play that first 10 or 15 minutes because if we could just get past that part... They kind of settled down and things were dramatically better, but man, the game was off to a brutally tough start. So first let's talk about the lineup. Only one change from the opener. Marinos Janice was into the starting lineup for Kyrie Shelton, who had picked up an adductor strain since we last talked to you all. And then outside of that, we had four substitutions that took place over the course of the match. Hernandez, Shelton, Leibold, and Duke all made appearances off the bench. But in the very first minute of the game. Oh my goodness. Colorado almost scored and John Camp came up huge, huge, if you will. And any thoughts on the the beginning first 10-15 when it was just, it felt like a disaster to me out there just waiting to happen. It felt like it was going to be a very long night.
1: Chad, it was a very long night. I mean, it got a little better, but it started really rough. And I thought the whole team and game as a whole was garbage. So... I do think they settled down kind of like on Monday, but they never really found their rhythm, I would say. And I honestly feel Colorado should have won the game. If I'm going to be honest, they had more opportunities, especially in that first 10 to 15 minutes, like you were saying.
0: Yeah, there was actually two basically, maybe the more controversial plays of the game. If you're a Colorado Rapids fan, you probably feel they're very controversial. Uh, Colorado scored and immediately i was telling you live on the broadcast i was like now nope, they're offside that is not a goal they played it to the offside guy who gets it in it was really messy too it's like they got the ball in and it kind of pinged around and it was sitting on the ground and then darren yappy who was offside came back and got it and didn't even get the shot off immediately like poked it in on the second attempt there was some controversy though because people were saying that andre ufantas went to ground and intentionally played that ball back to yappy but Alan Chapman did not see it that way. The referee, he was called over by the VAR to take a look and he took the goal away. So I felt good in that I called it offside immediately and the refs did eventually agree with me.
1: Yes, you did. You kept saying it's offside. He's offside like over and over again, as if like the the referee was going to be able to hear you.
0: Well, you know, I want to make sure you knew. And then you obviously did know because, uh, if y'all don't know, Sheena has been running the For the Glory KC Twitter account during the games. And she's like, don't worry everybody. Chad says it's offside. (laughs) Uh, I, I have this bad habit of calling the game as though I'm a commentator in the living room. And sometimes I'll say stuff and then the announcers say the exact same thing I said. And I'm like, look, look, I could do that job, but like, you know, probably not. I have no, no experience. Anyway, so the second controversial play was the, potential own goal by graham zussi a ball came in and uh, john pulls camp dove for it and missed and the striker dove for it and missed and they kind of collided with each other and then the ball pings off zussi off the inside of the post it looks kind of like it went over the line and then zussi clears it out off the line and then on replay i was like oh yeah you can definitely see some grass in between the white line and the ball but then i was trying to explain to sheena that hey it's possible that because of the way, you know, ball is round and we're, we're looking not straight down the line, but at another angle that the ball could be hanging over the line. And I felt vindicated because one, the VAR obviously took a look at it. They take a look at everything, but they didn't even call the referee over to have a peek on the monitor because they only call him over if they think they should change the call, essentially. And then two, there is this Twitter account on soccer uh, on Twitter that if you all don't follow this account, Soccer Photogrammetry. I'm probably saying that wrong. You can follow them at at Offside Modeling. They show that it's not over the line based on their angles, which admittedly, there's no angle straight down the line, that it's about one eighth of an inch from going all the way over the line. So no goal, Colorado.
1: Yeah. And it was a a chaotic like series of events between Pulse Camp and the Colorado guy colliding, Zussi coming in and ultimately saving it from being a goal, although it easily could have also from a casual viewer like me, look looked like a goal. So just a, a chaotic like minute of soccer. And thankfully, Pulse Camp was okay. Colorado didn't get the goal. And We ended up getting a draw in that game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure the Colorado fans are very upset about it. But if y'all watch the World Cup at all, Japan had a very similar play where you can definitely see the ball is like over the end line, but it's like so close to the end line that the ball must have been hanging back over. And they had the fancy like goal line technology in the World Cup and they do not have that in MLS. I hear it's quite expensive to get all the equipment and the cost per game is kind of stupid and whatnot. So it's just something that probably won't be coming to MLS anytime soon. And in this case, it worked out for Kansas City. So I'll take it. But let's get to your positives and negatives. Sheena, what are you thinking? Which one do you want to start with?
1: Well, I'm going to start with the positive, which honestly, I found it really hard to have some positives in this game. So I'll start with the first positive. And for me, that was John Effing Camp.
0: Oh, is this a new thing you're doing? <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> I said it when I was live tweeting after he had a really good save. And it, to me, he was the man of the match. Nobody even came close to him on sporting. And sometimes I forget he's only 21 because he's doing a lot right now for the team. And he's really had to step it up this season since our defense is struggling. And yeah, some of those saves looked rough and there was a mi- you know, some misses, but overall in both games, I, to me, he's gotten an A for effort and for performance. So he was the man of the match for me. What about you?
0: Yeah, I had him as the man of the match as well. There was some folks online, both on the blue Testament and on Twitter kind of saying that he, he played well, but he had, he had problems, right? Cause he's not great distributing the ball with his feet and he missed at some like crosses that were coming in the box but sometimes it's is it his responsibility to get that cross is it a center back's responsibility another defender i don't know the the long and short of it all is he's made a bunch of saves in the first two weeks he's got one clean sheet out of two games the other game probably feels like he could have done better when that ball went underneath him in portland but overall He's looking pretty good, especially for a 21-year-old. And I don't know uh, if we can use effing as his middle name because, one, I might have to put an explicit tag on this podcast now. And then, two, uh, he already has a nickname. Sheena, do you know Pools Camp's nickname?
1: I don't. What is it?
0: Big Bear. Haven't you heard that? (laughs) No. the Big Bear.
1: Why? Is it because of his curly hair?
0: uh, Maybe the hair. And I think he's like kind of hairy in general, right? He's got like a scruffy, you know, like remember when he was first on the team, I think he was like 18. I was like, this guy's 18. (laughs) He looks older than me. Like not like the lines and stuff. You know, he's a, he's a handsome young man, but like in terms of like just manliness and hairiness, like I'm, it's just not happening for me you all. So. Okay. So (laughs) no comments. You just got, okay, let's move on.
1: I don't know. Did How does one
0: respond to that? You know, Sheena, do you want to give your uh, casual takes about John and his look for the game? You had some comments to me while we were watching the game about his hair.
1: Oh, I love his curly hair. I just feel bad because it looks like he might be balding a little bit in the back, but I love his curly locks.
0: I'll have to check with John and see if he is in fact dealing with some male pattern baldness.
1: Don't ask him that. That's, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to ask him that. I'm just being okay. silly.
0: All right. Okay. What else? What else was a positive for you?
1: Okay. So I thought Cam Duke did good. Um, I felt like there should be another situation um, where I find a positive in this game. So for me, that was Cam Duke. He came on and I feel like he immediately made a difference, at least for the first few minutes he was on the field. And he I think took the ball away and was going towards the goal. So to me, that was something we really didn't see a lot of up until the point he came onto the field. The other caveat to that is that he wasn't on the field for too long. So to me, he didn't really make an impact, good or bad, but he made me really hopeful during those first few minutes. And I would like to see more of him coming on as a sub. What do you think about that?
0: I think you're really stretching since he was barely in the game. It's the kind of thing where, you know, I don't know if you've read these articles where they give match ratings to players and he played so few minutes that he probably would just get an NA, like a no rating sort of situation because he wasn't out there long enough. That's it. I thought he looked fine. I think He's better suited as the Tommy replacement right now until we get Gaudi Kinda back or. You know, Once Remy can play further up in the midfield and then Espinosa and Hernandez are both available off the bench, Duke makes more sense because he's much more of a pure attacking type midfielder than pretty much anybody else on the team that's not already starting besides Tommy or potentially Gotti of in the future.
1: Okay, well, like I said, it, I knew it was a stretch because I was really struggling to come up with positives. My last positive is we really lucked out that Diego Rubio was injured because I believe that saved us from having our second second. second loss of the season because he always scores against us and our defense was rough. And so I think had he been healthy, we would have lost the game.
0: Yeah, we're really reaching here. This guy didn't play, which is a positive for sporting. Um, well, I wrote down one more positive here, and I think this might be a little bit controversial. I was reading a lot of comments, and a lot of people are like, this team's never going to be any good, while Roger Espinoza and Graham Zusi are starters, and they're hating on them. And I'll admit, Roger hasn't been amazing this year. He played pretty well defensively in the first game, but then kind of vanished for stretches of this game. But I thought Zusi played really well against Colorado. There's this stat called key passes, which is basically a pass that leads to a shot but doesn't end up being a goal and he had three of them in the game which is pretty impressive considering where he's passing the ball from way back at right back who scored.com it's this website that rates and keeps all these interesting stats on the game they rate him as the highest rated player in the game even above pools camp so Shout out to Graham. Thought he played well. Obviously, he cannot play 34 games plus the Leagues Cup plus US Open Cup like Caden Pierre is going to need to get some time. But right now, he, he seems to be doing pretty well. And I thought he had really good long that long switch he hits all the way from right back up to like the left wing. And then he also on a like a recycled corner kick, you know how the fullbacks are the only two guys that stay back him and Ben Sweat were back. He sent a ball over the top that shallowy we got on the end of it it was maybe sporting's best chance of the entire game that uh kale Yarbrough had to die kale is it kale that doesn't sound right Yarbrough. we'll just call him that kale Yarbrough's like a race car driver i'm pretty sure <laughs> uh anyways Yarbrough dove and kept the ball out it was one of the few times he actually had to dive and the, the shot didn't go directly at him uh, as far as my other positive that i wrote down since i knew the format this week is that this one's stretching as well Alan Polito is back in full training this week with Sporting Kansas City. So didn't play, wasn't on the bench. I'm really reaching here, but that means we're that much closer to seeing him. And a couple of weeks ago, Vermee said pretty good chance we could see him in the opener. So let's hope that we get our first glimpse of Alan Polito, even if it's off the bench against the LA Galaxy this Saturday.
1: Yeah, I thought Zussi did well. I was going to just add that. he was, I was teetering, but uh, he had some really good plays with the ball. So I, I can agree with you on Zusi's performance. So, let's move to the eh or meh, whatever you want to call it. So, my first one is the midfield. At one point during the game, I thought Remy's touches with the ball, they're so slick and so sexy. And it feels weird saying that sexy. And that- I wanted to say it while we were, <laughs> Chad's like dying. I wanted to say it during the game, but I didn't think I could say it without like losing complete focus of watching the game. So I was saving it for now, but yeah.
0: You, you know, what's funny is we talk about this all the time, <laughs> how you're constantly talking about the attractiveness no, of no, 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 and the... no,
1: no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with his looks. <laughs> it's how he was, the way he's just, he's so good on the ball. Like it has nothing to do with his looks or anything like that. It's just like they're slick and they're sexy. I don't know. It's nothing to do with the looks. I, and that's why I was hesitant to say this. But I figured I would say it just to I say just it. I just want to
0: say, when we're watching the KC Current, if I describe any of their touches as sexy, I feel like I'm going to be in trouble. I'm just saying. There's a double standard that exists. Continue with your eh comments.
1: Anyways, I... Well, now I've lost my train of thought, but he's so good with the ball um, being at his feet and controlling the ball. Like there was just times he was getting it like, mid air and just like immediately bringing it down and he had full control of it. He made a few mistakes. So that's why he's an eh for me. But those times he was good on the ball. He was really good on the ball.
0: That's fair. I do remember him pulling a ball out of the air and me making a comment about, "Ooh, look at that touch. It's like incredible sometimes how hard like, or sexy. fast a ball can be coming. It's like, not the word I would use. It's not okay, the word I would use.
1: Fair, maybe my wordage isn't appropriate.
0: Wordage? Oh boy, who is <laughs> that even a word? <laughs> Zeusie does the same thing though. He has a really good first touch. Yeah, man. I mean, you he know, all, everybody makes mistakes sometimes, and they have bad touches. So people could pull this clip and then come back and show me a terrible Zeusie touch. But for the most time, you, party has a really good touch you know what was eh, for me the field conditions in colorado what was going on people were slipping yeah. left and right the crowd like cheered slash laughed at Zusi when he slipped to take a free yeah. kick
1: they were jerks
0: i mean i kind of get it like if the other team did it i'm no. sure you don't think so our midwest nice would come through in, in yeah. children's mercy park
1: i think so i've never i don't feel like people are slipping on our field but i don't I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong.
0: As a frequent uh, member of the cauldron and sit, we sit in the cauldron a lot when we go to games. Th- I have to say, there's some chance that I go. Uh, I don't know if I would say this, but then you get into the mob mentality. You're like, "Yeah, the ref is terrible," like, you know, or that player, his mom is awful, you know. Whatever, they'll say things to players to get in their head. So, I kind of think that the same thing would have happened the other way around. I'm not, I'm not faulting Colorado. I mean, Denver's a, a lovely city. I don't know about Commerce City, but Denver's lovely.
1: I remember Commerce City, at least where the stadium was. It was nice. I don't know about the rest of the city, but immediately where the stadium was, I remember yeah, that's it being fair. nice. I thought Roger played fine, but... Oh, this is going back to the midfield. I got so wrapped up in Remy's touches on the ball, I forgot to talk about everyone else. So... Roger played fine, but the team as a whole struggled, and I feel like the midfield had a few moments of greatness, but then it was followed by like a giveaway or something worse. Uh, Zussi played really well, as we just talked about, but overall, the midfield was eh for me, and then the only other eh I had was Voladere. I wouldn't say I'm a fan of his yet, but he looked better from the first game, And did he play great? I I wouldn't say that, but I saw improvement and I saw less mistakes from Monday. So to me, that was, eh. How about you?
0: You know, I'd have to go back and rewatch the first chunk of the game because I feel like everybody was making mistakes all over the field to lead to just chance after chance after chance. Uh, I probably should have put uh, well, you know what, we haven't gotten to the negatives yet. I'll hold that thought. So my I wrote a couple down here. I've got that Colorado took 13 shots, which feels like a lot, but only four were on target. So the eh is more for Colorado bailing Kansas City out a little bit. It could have been a very bad negative, but their finishing is so terrible. They have all these wingers that are so quick and fast and get into dangerous positions, but then they just don't take advantage of the opportunities. So uh, a little bit of a bail out there for Casey that could have ended up being a negative, obviously, if those had turned into goals, but thankfully they forgot where the net was. Another thing that was kind of eh for me was after the subs, Uh, you mentioned Duke and I did think Duke played fine for his couple of minutes, but he's barely in the game. But basically once they started making substitutions, which I think Obviously, they needed to. I don't know if this is so much on the players or the tactics, but it felt like Sporting were playing for a draw at that point because all the momentum was gone. They seemed to not be getting forward very hard, not taking a lot of chances. They did have some chances after the subs, but it was kind of hit or miss on the uh, for the whole on the whole there. Uh, Zusi, I'm sorry, yeah, Zusi had that really good ball to Shallowy in the 86th minute, but outside of that, eh. And then my last eh is uh, Willie Agata. N- not a fault of him because I told you about this passing chart. Y'all can go to MLSsoccer.com and click on the game recap and go to the stats. There's this passing chart that shows little circles for the average position that the player was at on the field. And the little, little lines connect to the players and show... Like how frequently they were passing between two guys, and neither winger Shalwi nor Janice, had any lines to Agata, so he's getting no service from his wingers. He had no service from Tommy, who is like the guy creating the whole engine of the midfield. The only people that had enough lines going from Zeusi to—I'm sorry—from anybody to Agata was Zussi and Pools Camp which means they made probably multiple passes that connected to him, which is kind of weird considering how far back on the field they were. So I can't recall off the top of my head if it was him dropping in and getting some passes further down the field. That's not really how Agata seems to play as much, but that's pretty eh for me. Do you want to move on to the negatives?
1: Yeah, so some of my negatives kind of go with your eh. So I'll start with one that doesn't. For me, a negative was Ben Sweat. It seems to me that he wants that starting left back position, but then I don't also feel like he really likes that position because he's always upfield. He made some mistakes, like some pretty big ones, I think. And I think I was saying before halftime, I was ready to see Leibold come in.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Ben Sweat, a big negative for me again tonight as well. I think he's fine on offense, right? He had that one interception late in the game where he's kind of charging forward and he made a really good run and made a good pass from there. But he was getting torn apart by Michael Barrios. Uh, You may remember, I am i don't know why I say these things. You're not going to remember. A few years ago, Michael Barrios scored a hat trick. And mostly he ripped apart Ico Parra in a game who's, you know, historically one of the better defenders in in KC history for a few years there where he was just fantastic. But he was just getting behind sweat every other place. Sweat's constantly up the field. And I think part of that's the tactics. You do see where it's... Fontes, Voliter, and Zeusi are the people staying back. So maybe that's a little bit on Burmese. But then Sweat charges so hard to get forward. And I don't feel like he works as hard to get back. Whereas I think if you have the energy to go forward, you need to have the energy to get back in position defensively. And it just kind of annoys me about him that he gets that done. He was out of position on the very first play. Now, sometimes what this is, is another player on the team turns the ball over while he's way up the field and he has to make a really long run to get back. So... Part of it's probably tactics. I'm probably hating on Ben for no reason.
1: The next negative for me, the defense. Uh, the players individually played eh, but protecting Pulse Camp as a whole, they didn't do great. And I honestly think Colorado could have easily ran up the goals, especially if Diego Rubio wasn't injured. And I also, going in, talking about substitutes, I'm not really confident in Tim Leibold right now. He didn't really impress me. And I feel like part of that is he's not getting enough time. He's getting like the last maybe 15 to 20. So that could be part of it. And I know he's still getting acclimated to the system and to the team. So there's a part of me where I feel like right now, Peter Vermes might be right to bring him on in the last 15 or so. But I'm not impressed with him so far. I hope he's the future. But right now, I'm just a little nervous. It, from what I've seen, what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I think he they're lacking that chemistry a little bit. Then partially, I think it's also tactics. Because in this game, it felt like, like I was saying before, Colorado or Sporting were trying to play for a draw late in the game and he comes on late. So he's not maybe getting up there to attack as much as he would otherwise. I would like to see him for a longer spell, but I think it's probably fitness related. He's not ready to do, you know, can he play a whole half? Can he play 60 minutes? Because you don't really want to start a guy unless he can at least get to halftime, but realistically more like 55-60. So that's a little bit of it. And then I think he just doesn't have chemistry with his teammates yet. He had this really good run where he's up in the box like, and then Agata dishes the ball back to him and Agata's out wide and he's in the middle. And it was like a Decent like build up, but then the play just didn't come off. And there was another time I'm thinking of where he had what should have been a nice little give and go, and I think it might have been it was either with a or Hernandez. I, I'm I'm not remembering off the top of my head. He makes a pass into the middle, and then whoever it was, instead of passing back to Leibold, who would have been charging into the box to either get a shot or a cross, they play it out hard. To shallowy on the wing and out near the the end of the sideline, so uh, chemistry hopefully will come again. It's two games. I'm I'm not panicking. I don't want to fault him. I think the to your point, the defense obviously was just an utter disaster for ten or fifteen minutes, but then ultimately they did earn a draw. Whether it's a little bit aided by luck or they used up some of their nine lives or or whatever happened, they didn't end up giving up a goal. So there's something to be said for having gotten better and settled into the game. They just need to settle in. Uh, like be ready to go from the kickoff. Like what is going yeah. on at the beginning of these two games? They've been really rough opening games.
1: I agree. Uh, My last negative is the offense. And I don't think it matters right now if Shelton or Janice Marino starts. The offense is not clicking and they don't look dangerous. Agata hasn't been a threat. And really, we haven't seen him with the ball much, as you have pointed out the last two games. And maybe part of it is because the wingers aren't as creative at getting the ball to him as Johnny Russell is. It sucks to say this, but I feel like when Polito is ready to come back, I think you have to put him in as the starter at striker And I really wasn't feeling that before the season started. But the current lineup isn't working. And I I don't want to blame Agata for that. It's not his fault. But Polito, I feel like also when he's on the field, he creates chances. So I, I hate to have Agata get sidelined whenever Polito's ready, but I think he needs to come on. I also feel like Eric Tommy wasn't as impressive as Monday. And maybe part of that is due to the injury that he's still recovering from and we know he's talented but just last night in general it was hard for the team as a whole like outside of pulse camp like nobody in my head played great but I wanted to pose a question to you that we got before you
0: pose your question can I disagree with everything you just said that's fine go for it
1: (laughs) I mean, so, I'm just a casual fan. What do I know, really? Okay,
0: okay. I, I don't think you're like completely wrong by any means, but I just, you know, hey, hot takes over here. Let me disagree with you. No, you said, I don't think it matters if it's Shelton or Johnny's. I, I disagree. I thought Johnny's played pretty good. Obviously, he's got a long way to go, but I thought he he tracked back on defense a lot better than he did last year. For me, he's specifically like poked at him in a post-game press conference, kind of laughing, saying, yeah, he loves to run forward, but he doesn't love to run back. And I thought he did a really good job of being defensively responsible and being where he was supposed to be his offense didn't always come off I mentioned that key passes stat he didn't have any in the game so there's something to be said for that Uh, Shelton didn't have any in this game either, for that matter. But that's something. uh, Another thing you said, you thought Tommy was not great. I thought he was okay. Obviously, you know, it'd be better if he had an assist or a goal or, you know, something like that. But he had one of the two plays that tested Yarbrough, the goalkeeper. He had that free kick where Yarbrough had to dive and push it aside. And then I think Shallowy gets a shot at the rebound and he forces another save by the keeper. So I I thought Tommy was okay. He's getting better. My problem with the attack is is yes, they're not getting the ball to Agata. Maybe it's partially not having that creativity of Johnny Russell. Part of it seems to be Espinosa. I haven't really noticed him much in games. He's probably doing what he's supposed to do defensively. I'm not like seeing him get burned or torched or anything for the most part. Nothing agree Just standing out to me. But that key pass stat, he has none either. So you're not making the pass that leads to the shot or making the pass that leads to the pass that leads to the shot. So I think that's kind of part of it.
1: Yes. Yeah, so at the end of my life tweeting, which if you're following along for my nonsense, thank you. I have no idea what I'm doing, but we got a Twitter question from Joshua, and his question is: Will Sporting offense suddenly show up once Russell Polito and Kinda are healthy? Poor Agata seems stuck on an island out there. Chad, what do you think? Do you think they're going to suddenly click when everyone is healthy?
0: The word suddenly, I don't want to use because I do think it'll take some time to get a rhythm. Remember, Polito and Kenda have never played with some of these guys, never played with Tommy or Agata. And then I don't even know if Polito and Agata will be on the field together much at all. But I, I don't see how they couldn't be better. And then I was thinking as the game was going on last night, like Agata wasn't having a great game. Again, partially, you know, no fault of his own. People aren't getting in the ball. But then another time, I don't know if you remember, there was that shot that was rebounded out. And he got the second shot on it. It was saved, but he was offside. He shot it right at the keeper. So even if he'd gotten a chance, it wouldn't have gone in. But I, how do you not get better by having more depth and saying, you know, this isn't working. We have really good quality players on the bench that we can go to. So I think we're going to see Polito pretty soon. I think Rodoya, who we're not really talking about much, could help this team a lot in terms of being that killer D mid that this team needs. And then Remy can move further up the field. Remember Remy scored a few pretty good goals and then he's been forced to go back and play more defensively because the team just needs him to be there right now. But let me give you my other negative of the night that we haven't had a chance to cover yet. And that was the shots. Sporting took 17 shots during the game, 11 of them on target, which is pretty good, right? Because we always complain, Oh man, they're shooting a ton, but they're not putting any on target. But all but two of them, were basically directly at the keeper sometimes it's like i get it right a ball's rebounding or pinging around you're just trying to get a foot on it whatever but there was just a lot of shots that just went directly at the keeper i think that i'm generally okay with them just trying to take shots when the opportunities present themselves because you never know they're not going to go in if you don't shoot them right maybe he will get a deflection or maybe the keeper will be screened slightly by another player so that's a little bit of a bummer but of those uh, only 11 made it through they had zero shots that were off target though they were either all blocked or yeah literally all the rest were blocked so none of them just like went wide they just got blocked by a player probably because they were taking too many touches waiting too long to shoot there's a few times where like Daniel shoot like it would be they played a really good first pass to him and then he'd take a touch take a touch and maybe if he'd have shot after his first touch he'd have gotten it but uh, it didn't play out uh, expected goals there's this stat I'm sure you're super familiar with all the metrics around expected goals she. but basically, based on where the shot was taken, like how close are you to the keeper, things like that, there's this equation going on. And everybody has a slightly different expected goals model. But Colorado, according to the game flow model over at American Soccer Analysis, they had it at 1.52. Colorado should have scored one and a half goals, basically. Obviously, you can't score one and a half goals. but And then Sporting... So not even a full goal worth of quality shots. To give you an idea, I think a penalty kick is worth 0.6, something like that, because it's you know, very likely that you'll score on a penalty kick versus you shoot from way outside the box. It might be worth like 0.01, not very much, right? If you're shooting from pretty far away. While they had more shots, they had more shots on target. Colorado only had four shots on target. They had a lower expected goal. So they're maybe not getting the quality shots off. And hopefully that stuff, the kinks will start to get worked out there. But uh, I had a, one other stat I wanted to highlight really quick before we move on. And I, then I wanted to make some excuses. So um, <laughs> I mentioned that key passes stat or Earlier, where it's like the pass that leads to the shot uh, tommy and shallowly had four of those in the game so i think that's important Zusi was next on the team with three and then the only other people on the whole team that had one were duke Agata, fontes and sweat all had one so that's none for espinosa none for johnny's none for shelton shelton didn't play as long obviously on this game none for hernandez i think a lot of the subs the way they were being asked to play, they just weren't they weren't going forward, they weren't attacking as much. Uh, but Duke did still manage to get one of those off. So any other thoughts before I wrap it up and make some excuses as to why sporting are uh oh one and one so far?
1: Yeah, so my final thoughts, um, this is unrelated to the game, but at halftime before the game started back, we saw Zussi casually doing push-ups at halftime, and that just was so impressive to me. Like I want to be a person who can run in general, but run for 45 minutes and then do pushups like that was just so impressive to me because I would be so exhausted. But in related to the game and sporting, we have to do better. And hopefully having our first home game will help because we can't struggle again. And I'm going to be at the game in the stand. So obviously, they're probably going to win with me cheering them on.
0: I don't know that you have the greatest record of going to games. So. I
1: actually don't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, Sheena has cursed us. Just be warned, everybody. So my final kind of closing thoughts. Yeah, I agree. Got to be better. But this team is still missing a bunch of people. I know I make that excuse all the time, and they're always going to be missing somebody. But last year, none of two of their three designated players didn't play all season. Uh, their three DPs last year were Russell... Kinda and Polito, none of them have played so far this year. Russell's technically not a DP anymore. Eric Tommy is, but I don't know, some sort of math going on there, MLS math. Sporting have only ever won five times in their entire history at Colorado, so this was always a game that didn't feel super likely they were going to win. I gave you those stats last week, and I predicted a draw, so um, and then uh, it was a short week because of all the weirdness from the last week. They're playing at elevation, you know, we talked about their struggles with that, all this weird travel stuff this year, but the excuse to stop this week they got regular rest they're back at home probably gonna have Polito back at least off the bench i think they gotta get going gotta find a way to score against the galaxy and get all three points but let's move on we talked about it. We teased it at the top of the show. Sporting Kansas City have signed themselves a center back. They've got their third center back signing of the offseason after Courtney Ford went down. They added two earlier, and now they've added Colombian Danny Rizzero. He comes from the Colombian team juniors FC. Uh, the r- initial rumor said it was a $1 million transfer fee there's this website called Transfer Market that has it at 1.13 million euros. So around like 1.2 ish million dollars. The big kind of interesting thing about Rosero is, well, a couple of different things that came out in the press conference with Peter Ramiz the other day. He said that the deal had fallen apart. They'd been trying to sign Rosero and it it was basically dead in the water. And then Brian Bliss, their technical director, flew down to Colombia to make this deal happen. And he said, because basically they didn't want to let him go. Like they just started their season. He's their best defender and they would be worse to not have him out there. So don't know officially what the fee is, but they got it done. Maybe that's where the 1 million climbed to 1 point, whatever million, <laughs> you know, they threw a little, a few extra hundred K in there to make it happen. But then during the press conference, my colleague Thad Bill asked Hey, we don't know, Rosero. What would you compare him to? Is there somebody maybe on the team in the past that is similar? And he said he's kind of a mix of Para and Aurelian Collin. Ooh, I kind of like that. Sheena, what were your initial thoughts when you heard about Danny Boy?
1: Well, I was just happy we finally signed somebody because we have been talking about how badly they need somebody in that position since the podcast started. Last week, I said I tried to do some research and I really couldn't find a lot. But he seems to have the the height of Ike, and he looks like he would be physical. Like, he just looks like he's strong. And he can beat people down, and I don't. It's not like I see Fontes or you know anybody else on the defense, and I'm like, oh, they look like they're they're going to be physical. Like I don't really get that impression. So I am excited to see what he brings to the team. It sounds like he won't be here for a little bit, visa stuff, right?
0: Yeah, usually takes a few weeks to get their P1 visa and get in the country. A couple extra things that Verme said about him, and I I spliced a clip of this and put this on my Twitter at Play for ninety. If y'all want to go check. Check it out. Um, but he said he's good in the air, which matches up. He's 6'2, 190. So that matches up with your whole physical thing. Uh, he said he is a he is very physical, he has a good presence out there, he's a good 1v1 defender, so that's good because a lot of times balls get over the top and there's nobody back but the center back that's chasing and retreating. So if he can keep up with the pace, then that'll be important. And then when he was making the Aurelian Collin and Iko Paracomp, he said, you know, he shared a lot of these traits with them, but he's better with his feet than those two, and that they those two might not like to hear that uh, you know alpira is still a coach with skc too and then colin is an assistant coach in the league as well they're around i'll be interested to see if ike like wanders over from sporting Kansas city to practice to check out this guy and see if he can you know rate him is he better with his feet or not
1: yeah that would be interesting that i feel like is fair Sometimes I felt like Ike looked a little clumsy, so that actually makes sense.
0: My favorite analogy for Ike is you know, obviously he was very fast and very athletic and oh gosh, miss miss that guy and it's kind of a bummer his playing career ended sooner than I'm sure anybody would have liked. But people would always say that he looked like a baby giraffe when he was running, and I was like, Oh, I totally see it. Like he's going quick, he's fast, but it just something just looked a little awkward. Aww. I say that as someone who runs very slowly and awkwardly and you know, I'm and tired. never Well, yeah, it's true. I don't run anywhere. But if I were to run, it would be slow and awkwardly and I'd get tired fast. Uh, let's move on. Our last segment here before we go to the digital crawl is thoughts on week two of MLS season pass slash MLS 360. We had some complaints about MLS 360 the first week. There was a lot of positives, but the number of positives climbed for me this week. We did not see a lot of awkward studio shots or looking at the back of the commentators calling the game or not even calling the game, like the analysts in the studio talking about the game or not talking about the game. Sometimes they showed us signs pretty much the whole time and they cut from game to game and another thing i really liked is that they let the commentators from the game they go let's go live let's Let's feel the atmosphere. Let's listen to the crowd. Let's talk to, let's listen to the announcers. They did it a couple of times for St. Louis who made their home debut this week. And I love that. I think MLS 360 is showing some real promise and it's a huge perk if you're a subscriber to MLS season pass.
1: I will admit I didn't watch as much of the MLS 360 as I did last week but they did slow down with all the different studios. And for the portions I saw, they were sitting. So that was nice to have some consistency because it was very chaotic last week. I felt like every time they came back from a game, they were in a different set. I also noticed that three of the commentators were wearing like tan slash khaki. And I just couldn't get past that, especially for Sasha. How do you say his last name? Kleshin? Yeah. I don't Cushion. Yeah, yeah, like he looked washed out and I couldn't get past the fact someone at Apple thought that was a good look for him. So again, my very casual take. but I was watching most of this while I was making dinner and I am still annoyed with the commercials and I would mute the commercials and play music, but then I'd get wrapped up in what I was listening to that I would forget about the game coming back on. So the commercials really took me out of wanting to watch the game. And I don't know what the reason for the commercials are, but they need to go. I think you run the risk of losing customers in the long run. And if the majority of people are flipping over to a live game like I know you were, like I don't know how effective the commercials are.
0: Yeah, I was, you're spot on. Every time a commercial would come on, I would just change the channel. I'm like, I'm paying for this service. I shouldn't have to watch commercials. People were complaining of me online saying, no, it's fine. That's how they're paying for the service. No, I'm paying $100 a year. That's how you're paying for the service. So yeah. soccer doesn't have commercials during games. I don't like it. A few people said, well, they're not going to commercial at like, bad times, like when action is happening in the games. But sometimes goals were happening while they're gone, and then they come back and you could see the updated score on the scroll on the side, which was my other big complaint, which you pointed out to me. Me initially was like the graphics package is way yes, too wide.
1: It's still so, an issue.
0: So I, I have to tell you, Sheen, I went downstairs, y'all. We're very lucky. We have an 85-inch beast of a television in our basement. And I took the tape measure out and I measured how wide are the graphics packages. <laughs> no, as, you didn't. I did. I did. So <laughs> on, the, on the bottom of the screen, it was nine and a half inches of the screen, was ate up with just the the game you were watching currently, and then in the corner, the little MLS slash Apple logo. And the right side of the screen was an astounding 16 inches of screen ate up. Gina, in college, do you remember when you first met me and I had a 13-inch television (laughs) in my apartment uh, bedroom?
1: I do remember that. And that's probably why I have been so annoyed because I've been watching it upstairs where we do have still a large TV, but not 85 inches. So it is smaller. And while I'm cooking from another room, it's hard for me to stay engaged when the graphics are taking up a portion of the TV. The other thing I was going to say is that I, we talked about this last week, but I feel like they should take everything the red zone is doing and just apply it to soccer and help bring Scott Hansen over he's not doing anything right now. I find him more enjoyable than the panel. And I just had to share this fun fact I learned because we haven't watched the red zone in so many years. I had to make sure Scott Hansen was still even doing the red zone, which he is. But I learned like some crazy things about him that I just need to share really quickly. On Saturday, he locks himself in the hotel rooms to help him get prepared for Sunday. And then on Sundays, he eats, he eats breakfast at 6.55 a.m. and doesn't eat at all during the, the broadcast. He also avoids going to the bathroom the entire day. So there's only the last time he went to the bathroom during the red zone was back in 2017. And that information just completely blew my mind and I couldn't do it. But I think they need that kind of dedication from their commentators. And I also just don't really find these commentators so far to be too enjoyable. Like, I don't know. I probably also haven't seen enough of the games, but they don't have excitement for me. And who they really need is Stu Holden. And I will die on the hill about them not bringing Stu holden over from fox
0: all right well i it does feel like we're complaining too much but i agree i like the red zone format better that said this is still i've i never sat around on saturday and watched any other mls games and this has gotten me watching some other games i think they're going to keep making it better they made huge jumps from just week one to week two i didn't watch this package so far seems pretty darn good so i don't have a lot of complaints
1: for sure i mean from what It's a new package. It's a new thing they're doing. And I can't believe it's taken them this long. And you explained to me last night why it hasn't happened. So I'm happy it's a thing. There's just some kinks they need to work out. And honestly, in the scheme of everything, it's very minor things that at this point they need to fix. But the commercials are the biggest one for me.
0: All right. And it's time for our reoccurring segment, Kids Corner with our daughter. What do you got for us?
1: What's a ghost's favorite soccer position?
0: hmm i don't know
1: ghoul keeper
0: oh boy <laughs> all right and that was kids corner all right y'all well it's time for the digital crawl so we'll move right into it a couple of quick stories and then we'll get you out of here for the day uh, another report came out uh from the athletic from writer meg lenehan about the utah royals they are coming back to the national women's soccer league Expect an announcement in mid-March. They're going to be joining San Francisco and joining the league in 2024. They'll pick up on their history. They were a club from 2018 to 2020. Those longtime fans of KC soccer will know that FC Kansas City became the Utah Royals. The Utah Royals then became the Kansas City Current, but it's a bunch of folded teams back and forth. So I'm excited for Utah to get their team back. It seemed like they were running things and treating the women pretty well out there outside of their terrible ownership group, which is why they had to leave and their misconduct. But they had nice facilities and they're trying to do things right. And hopefully this new ownership group will be a great boon for the league. Uh, A little bit of Sporting Kansas City 2 news. They made two signings this week. They added midfielder Sebastian Cruz, used to play for the SKC Academy, went to college at Cal State Fullerton. They also added, this feels weird, uh, just graduated from college, (laughs) 25-year-old, right back, Lucas Rosa from University of Pittsburgh, uh, 25, and he just got out of college. COVID and a bunch of weird complications, redshirt sort of stuff. Uh, Sporting Kansas City 2 also played their second preseason game and won over USL Championship team FC Tulsa. And they announced they'll be playing their home games in split locations again this year. They're going to start the season off in Lawrence, Kansas at Rock Chalk Park, and they're going to do that until about mid-August, where they'll then return to Swope Soccer Village. A couple other bits of news. If y'all ever have seen the show Drive to Survive on Netflix, it's this like kind of documentary behind the scenes of F1. Well, the company behind that is making a Major League Soccer sort of documentary, which people have been calling for to have this on Apple and I hear great things about Drive to Survive. I went and watched the trailer the other day. I've never watched it, but it had me kind of hyped. I was like, I do not care about F1, but I kind of want to watch
1: it. And I could care even less about driving stuff. And I was even intrigued.
0: Yeah. And then our last bit for the digital crawl here this week is Grant Wall, who we know unfortunately passed away during the World Cup. His brother, Eric, is coming to Kansas City for the home opener this weekend against the LA Galaxy. They're going to honor Grant as a local legend you know he's from the area and that'll be happening it sounds like pre-game so that'll be pretty cool i've seen a lot of things around the league where there's in the press box every team is like leaving a spot for grant and they have like his picture and flowers and like a jersey with his name on it and stuff which i think is pretty cool and that'll be kind of it'll be kind of heavy probably to see that when i when i sit up there next week and i abandon sheena to go sit in the crowd with my daughter and our daughter i don't like how we say my daughter
1: yeah she's <laughs> both of ours just to clarify
0: yeah, and and my little brother who's going to come up. Uh, my little brother, he's been a Sporting Kansas City fan for a long time. He's never gotten to a game, so he's making the trip out, and he's pretty excited.
1: And he's not that little. You act like he's significantly younger. He's just like two years younger than well, you. Well, he's right?
0: little to me because he's I a know, baby. But- he's two years younger than me. <laughs>
1: You see what I'm saying?
0: It's a 37-year-old baby. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> so thank you all for joining us. As you see, we're not doing as long of a podcast this week, although we didn't do great at keeping it short. Um, if you made it this far and you have not already, be sure to like and subscribe. We will be back later this week, and we're going to do a second podcast where we preview the game against the LA Galaxy and any other news that comes up between now and then. So we're going to go for two shorter podcasts every week. Yeah, that's what you all voted for. The vast majority of you said that. But But go subscribe. For the Glory KC, wherever you get your podcast, and give us a five star rating and review. It's going to help us out, kind of bump us up, and uh, we love to hear what you all have to say. Give us some nice feedback there. Uh, you can also follow us on all the social media accounts at For the Glory KC on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email us for glorykc at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter at play for 90 If you follow the For the Glory KC Twitter account, you're going to get some live tweeting from Sheena during the game. I think she likes it. She's like mad tweeter I- over <laughs> here.
1: <laughs> uh, I've never been a tweeter before a twitter i know i never get this right but yeah it's different and i love that a few of you are interacting with me and it keeps me continuing to tweet even though i tweet nonsense but i appreciate it and yeah I'll I'll be there when I'm home. I'm not going to tweet from the game next week because I don't have Twitter on my phone.
0: Oh, that's true because you'll be watching live. But I know you're not going to go to every home game, so you'll be able to get that at-home perspective. You can hear the commentary that I cannot hear while I'm sitting in the press box. So you'll have to let me know and and give me some good insight. I'll follow follow the account as well. (laughs) That's it for us. Here is Christian Leo with Write It Like You Mean It. Take care, everybody.
1: Thanks for listening. Bye.